We just thank you for this evening. We thank you for this opportunity to come together and just to look at your word and see what you would have us to see. We thank you for each person that's here and those that will hear this on the internet. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Psalm 126, verse 1. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goes forth with weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again rejoicing, bearing his sheaves with him. All right. Very short, very short psalm. And this one is restoration. And this is kind of an interesting, interesting psalm. And it starts out, when the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion. And I'm not sure if this one, they're thinking back to Exodus or if this psalm, because there's no time marker on it, is written after the Babylonian captivity, which is quite possible. Uh, when they, after Bab being in Babylon for 70 years, they returned. And in one of the psalms, it talked about how, and in, in uh, Ezekiel, they talked about how the Babylonians wanted to hear their pleasant songs about God and everything. And history tells us that they actually def destroyed their fingertips rather than play their harps for the Babylonians to play God's songs for the Babylonians. Because they, they felt their songs were sacred <laughs> you know we, we have this idea that the the sacred and and secular is something kind of new in our churches but it's been around for an awfully long time where we think that this is god's and this is the world's and you know we see it all all the time and i talk a lot about this there's so many especially even christians that figure this is what i do for serving god and this is what i do the rest of the rest of my life and when we divide our life up that way, we have a lot of problems involved. I need to keep in mind, we need to keep in mind that everything I do needs to be for God. When I'm at work, it's for God. When I'm at play, it's for God. When I'm doing my hobbies, it, it, God needs to be part of it. When I, whatever I'm doing, God has to be part of it, or we have the wrong mindset altogether. And We've seen this. I've seen people who even go so far as when they're working, they will do all kinds of shady deals. Whatever, whatever people do, will do in their business, they'll do all the shady deals and still claim to be a Christian because work is work and God is God. And it's like, well, if I, 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 to make money, I got to do these things, God. You don't, understand, you don't understand the workplace, God. And God says, I understand the workplace just fine. Uh, in Baltimore, there was a man who ran a Christian company and hired lots of people from the church, and he had his salesmen doing all kinds of shady things to, to make the promises that they can't make, to hard, hard strong arm them that this is a one-time deal, and, and he even said what the Muslims say, you can lie to, the, you can lie to, to somebody who's not a Christian. And the question is, first off, how do you know they're not a Christian? Uh, now, the Muslims will say you can lie to anybody who's not a Muslim, and that's why, you know, but he would say, you know, if they're not a Christian, you can lie to them. You can say whatever you want. It's not wrong. Yeah, and that was, his, that was his mentality. He felt that he had to do that to get his foot in the door, to get his business going, 
and he would do all these things that were not strong Christian principles to try to promote his business because he separated the secular world from his godly world. We've got to be careful about that. Everything we do has to be centered around God and his way of doing things. And you know, the blessings that God will give you when you honor him. We have so many businessmen that have honored God in their business practice, and God rewards those practices. Uh, thinking of like somebody like Truett Cathy of Chip, who started Chick-fil-A. You know, he wanted to honor God. He, be, he, he was a Christian. He says, I'm going to run a restaurant. I'm going to build a restaurant, and we are not going to be open on Sundays. And Chick-fil-A's are not open on Sundays. When he first started putting them in malls, they go, well, you've got to be open on, on Sundays. It's a requirement that all businesses have to be open the hours of the mall. And he goes, well, if you want me to be in your store, in your mall, I will not open on Sunday. And in his early days, he even made an agreement with them that if his Chick-fil-A's did not outperform all the other restaurants in the mall court, then he would open on Sunday. He's never opened a store on Sundays because God has blessed him for being that faithful to honor him. You know, and we need to look at this. If we obey God and we honor God in all parts of our life, God will be true to his word and lift us up to be the witness that we are, that we should be. And very important, uh, I share all the time at work about Jesus. My job is not to share about Jesus. I could get in trouble for sharing about Jesus even during my break times and all that with the inmates. But you know what? I'm not going to be fearful of it. Now do I, you know, I have told uh, some of the workers there when I was subbing in a class and both the, both the TAs were Christians and they knew that I was a pastor and, going, and they wanted to talk to me during class about God. I'm going, no, this is not the time to be talking about God. I'll talk to you during the break. I'll talk to you after class before you have to return to your dorms. But right now, this is not the time to be talking about God because I'm not paid to talk about God when I'm supposed to be teaching and neither are you being paid to talk about God at this moment. And, you know, we honor God completely to do what he asks us to do. And we get bold to do what he asks us to do. But we need to lift him up because God will turn against the captivity. And I love this one in the second half of that is we were like them that were in a dream. They were able to return home in verse 1. We were like them that dream. You know, they got what they wanted. How many times have you gotten what you really wanted, your heart's desire, and God provides it for you? Hopefully it's something. You know, maybe it's not your heart's desire, but something you really wanted, and God puts it right there in front of you. We need to be praying. They were in captivity. They never thought they were going to go back. They didn't, they didn't believe Jeremiah. They didn't believe all these prophets who said, you're only going to be gone for 70 years. Even Daniel kind of forgot about it until he was reading in the scrolls, and he says, oh, it's time to return. It's time to return. And he starts talking to the, the king about it because it had just become part of life. Many times we just start doing things that are everyday routine parts of life. And oftentimes, we'll leave God out of our everyday routine. We have to put God in the center of our everyday routine. Then we'll have these times when, oh, wow, look at this. 
Look at all the blessings that come along with this. Abraham, Abraham, you're going to have a child. Well, 30 years later, when he's 100 years old, he gets his child. <laughs> uh, Sarah, you're going to have that child too. And you're 90, you're going to have your child. Yeah. Almost like a dream. It happens. David, going in to visit his brothers on the battlefield and sees this giant making fun of God. And he's so, he's so bold, he's going to his brothers, you know, what's, what's going on? Why are they letting this giant blasphemy against God? Why isn't somebody doing something? And they're telling him, shut up. <laughs> shut up, you know, we're, we're the soldiers, you're just the, you're just the runt, you know, don't. <laughs> and of course, what he said got reported to Saul and he ended up fighting the giant because he had enough faith to be able to fight the giant. And we want to be looking at this. Are we centering our life around God? Are we looking to see what God's going to do in our life? Or is it everything that, are we looking at everything I can do to make things happen? And this is something I've had to learn over many years. I, you, know, I'm, you all know I'm an administrator, a pastor. I like to make things happen. And I have to be very careful that I don't have in my own planning and, and straightforward stubbornness the desire to keep making, trying to make things happen that God's not in. And we want to be very careful because there's a fine line between working to make something happen and trying to force something and watching God work. And, and I've shared with you, when I, before I got my job at the prison, there were times when I would pray and God, you know, hand, you know, hold the bills up to God and say, God, these are your bills to pay. And, and he gave me lots of opportunities to get jo small jobs to pay the bills. I had to do lots of work <laughs> to pay those bills and get God's blessing. Now, if I had worried and fretted and tried to find those jobs, none of them probably would have ever happened. But God dropped them, kept dropping them in my lap. God makes things simple for us when we're just listening to him and taking the steps that he gives us. And it says, we were like them that dreamed. And then, I love this, then was our mouth filled with laughter. They were going home. They had the opportunity to go home, and joy and laughter filled their hearts. And our tongue was singing. And then they said among the heathens, the Lord hath done great things for them. Do you share with your lost friends, co-workers, whatever, what God has done for you? Yeah, I've shared this with you. I used to love being in the restaurants, and I even do it at the prison every once in a while. Not as much there, but I used to go in the restaurants all the time. You know, you know what God did this last week for me, or yesterday, or, or you know, what he's been doing, and people would look at me like I was a crazy nut. But you know, at that same time, it was a testimony in front of them that my God loves me. You may not believe that it's my God. You may just think it's consequence and and uh, that I'm very lucky, but God loves me so much that he meets my needs. Yeah. The way to start it is really start sharing with the body to start with. Share with other Christians who at least hold the same main mindset that you do, that God has met your needs and blessed you. you know, it's really bad when all we ever hear from people is, I have so many needs, and I need this, and I need this, and we don't really get to hear the blessings that God provided. We need to make sure we're sharing the blessings, probably more than the needs. And God wants to provide for us. 
you know, that's a wonderful thing, you know, and I don't know why God wants to provide for us. You know, we're, we're a bunch of sinners that don't deserve anything from us, and yet he says, I want to give you grace and give you everything, give you abundance. He promises to meet all our needs, but he's also a good father who wants to give us beyond just our needs. And we've got to keep that in mind. You know, when we think about God and how much he loves us, most people think that God's this really cheap individual who's measuring his, measuring his blessings out by the dropper. You know, oh, you got three drops, you got too many, you, go, you owe me one drop back. And that's not God. God is up there with a steam shovel saying, are you ready to get the blessings if we want, if we want to see him work? Now, there has to be a reason for it. We think of somebody like George Mueller, whose prayers were for, for others and all the things that he was doing, and God poured out blessings on him. Before George Mueller really put it out, there was not a lot of people who prayed for the things they needed. They manipulated, they tried to, tried to work you know, things out. Mueller, when he first started preaching, the first thing he did in the first church that he was in, he abolished the pew tithe. Uh, in his day, you paid for your pew. The rich people paid a lot of money to, to have a pew up front, and the further back, the cheaper they were, and if you didn't want to pay for your pew, you stood. You know, you know, we think church is bad now. <laughs> and the first thing he did was get rid of that, and they said, well, pastor, if you do that, we can't guarantee that you're going to have any money. He goes, well, we're getting rid of this, and God will take care of it. He got rid of this system that gave people pride to sit up front and just opened it up to what we have today. You sit wherever, wherever you want in a church. Before it was, number one, you didn't sit or you sat in general seating, you know, to use a, a sports term. You have the seats that, are, that you pay for, the general seating that was cheap in the, in the nosebleed area. Uh, you know, and that's kind of what it was. Your rich people sat up front because they could afford it, and around the edges you'd have some seating, and the rest of it everybody would stand because you didn't have enough money or didn't desire to buy your seat in the church. And we see this and how things have changed over the years for us. And it says, our mouth was filled with singing, and we declared to the heathen or the Gentiles, the Lord has done great things for us. Is that, our, is that our witness with people? When we're out there around people, do they know that God has done great things for us? Or are we just as bitter and complaining as everybody else is? There's one gentleman I work with. He, he's a Christian, and I have no doubt that he's a Christian. But he's always griping about something. You know, he's always griping about something. Something at work, something outside of work. Uh, I'm wondering at times, and I even asked him the other day, I go, are you ever happy about anything? Mm. You know, you've got God and he saved you. Are you ever happy about anything? And, you know, this is a bad place for us. If, if our attitude is such that people look at us and say, well, you're just like everybody else. When I first moved here, I worked at the Popeyes, and one of the, you know, and they're both of the manager, the manager of the restaurant and myself were both Christians, and one of the days, one of the day his, one of his workers came by and go, why are you always happy and, this, and our manager is always so grumpy and angry about things? I go, I don't know. God just, I know that God loves me and provides for me. I don't know about him on this, but I know that, you know, and I, and I don't doubt that he was a Christian. He's a, 
He was a wonderful, godly man, knew God's word, but it didn't come out in his attitude toward people. It didn't come out to his attitude around people. He was just a bun, you know, he, he was a grumpy type guy, and he showed grumpiness to everybody. And so when there was two different opinions, it's like, well, you're, you know, basically they're saying, you're kind of like the Christian we want, somebody who <laughs> seems to have everything good, and he's like, you know, not somebody that it's drawn to. Who's going to draw somebody? And I don't say you've got to be happy all the time because that's an impossibility. But, you know, are you pleasant? Are you looking and saying, God is meeting my needs? God is doing things for me. I love to share with people. I love to tell people about all that God's doing and how he's blessing and, and the things I learn in the Bible. You know, I, I love to do that with people. Even in the prison, you know, where we start talking, you'll go, you know what, I just read this today, and I, know, I don't know if it's going to mean anything to you, but God said this in the in this book. And you're not preaching to them, but just sharing what God, sh God says. Do I do it all the time? No, but I do it often enough that they're, that they're noticing. I've had several of them go, well, why are you always in a good mood? I go, I'm not always in a good mood. I'll go, yeah, you're usually in a good mood. You know, well, God is on my side and he blesses. And we see this many times, even in church. It's not as bad as it used to be, you know, that many people in church, if they cracked a smile, you, know, you would wonder what's wrong with them. And they should have the joy of the Lord. And I love being able to smile. I love being able to have a good time with God. Because my God gives, supplies all my needs and he blesses. And yet I've met so many people that, I don't know, maybe they think that being happy is ungodly or something. <laughs> but all through here it says, we sang, we gave thanks. We, we told the heathen that God has done great things. Verse 3, the Lord has done great things for us, therefore we are glad. So he repeats it. The Lord's done great things, therefore we are glad. And my question for any person out there is, is God doing great things and are you glad? Too many times Christians forget to give God blessing and they forget to be happy that God's doing things. And it's very important that we show forth the joy of the Lord. Old song we used to sing when I was young, the joy of the Lord is my strength. You know, and uh, it's a very powerful song, and it really is. The joy of the Lord should be our strength. It should motivate us to go forward. It should give us an exciting time with God. And I love being a Christian. I love being a follower of God. I love watching what God does in my life, in other lives, and around me, and how much God has changed me over the years. And, you know, it's kind of amazing because I talk to people and they go, well, you've never been like that. And I go, well, you didn't know me 30 years ago. You know, if you'd have known me 30 years, the people who knew me 30 years ago, if they met me now, would go, who is this? It's not the same person. And that should be our testimony before God. God, I am being changed in such a way that somebody who know, knew me 5, 10, 20 years ago would not even think they're dealing with the same person because of how much you're shining out, of, how much more you're shining out of me. Very critical, and I think a lot about that, especially this time of year when I'm thinking about the new year and the start overs and everything. You know, are we being changed by God? Is he crucifying our flesh and being projected out of us more himself each passing day? Are we more kind? Are we more loving? Are we more gracious? Are we more merciful? 
with each passing year because God is changing who we are and he is coming out of us. And you know, one of the hardest things to do is to love people and be gracious and be encouraging. And it, it goes against our grain as a, as a human being. It goes against our desires. And yet that's what God has called us to do. Reveal him to others. When somebody is, mistreats us, how do we react? Do we get aggressive back at them? Or are we loving the way Jesus was? Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean we're never going to say a harsh word. Jesus had some very harsh words for, for some of these people. Not quite as harsh as John the Baptist, you brood of vipers. <laughs> but he also said, you know, you guys don't know what you're talking about. And he got in the face of the scribes and Pharisees quite often. But he also did it in a loving manner that I want to see you change. And this is the, the most important thing for us. Are we showing that love? And that sometimes love says hard things to people. And anybody who spent any time with me will know that sometimes I will say some things that are pretty hard and challenge you to say, are you growing? Are you changing? Are you sure that what you're saying is true? Are you, are you, are you sure that that's what you should have said? <laughs> and why? Because I don't want people to continue following down the wrong path. You know, true love does not let their child play in the middle of the, of the interstate at rush hour. Well, actually, might let them play at rush hour. That's pretty, if the traffic's not moving, does not let them play in the rush hour when, it, when the cars are going at 80 miles an hour. That's not true love. That's actually more hate. You know, you can go ahead and kill yourself, kid. I don't, I don't love you enough to, to stop you. True love stops somebody from playing in the highway, heading, heading to hell. And sometimes it means you're saying some hard things. There's many people that don't like it when I call sin, sin. And that's unfortunate, but it is the way it is. I've got to teach what God says, and it's going to be, this is sin. The world doesn't like it when the church says homosexuality is a sin and not approved by God. And they'll come back to us and say, well, you just got to evolve and be like the rest of us and accept everybody. No, we're going to, be, we're going to agree with God. And... We want to tell people God has done great things, but God has standards. God loves you, but he's got strong standards. God loves you and will accept you, but he wants you to make progress to being more like him by letting him crucify you. All of these things become important on this. Verse 4 says, Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Now this has got a really wonderful picture in it. Turn again our captivity, our imprisonment as the streams in the south. The word we would use in here, washes. Because it's referring to the rivers in the desert that when it rains, almost instantly turn into torrents, torrential rivers. It's not talking about just a standard river. And those of us here in Arizona, we know this term. You know, get a little rain around here, and all of a sudden our washes can be dangerous. Uh, I love it in Kingman. You know, there's this great big wash where all the washes run in just, just a little ways away from my house, and it turns into almost a river. And it'll flow for a day after, after the rains because there's so much water in it, and it's running. It's running like any river back east would run all the time. And for a day or two, it runs. 
and then they'll be bone dry again and it'll be nothing but a sandy, sandy bed for days on end, months on end. You know, this is what he's talking about. Turning in our captivity like the rivers of the south, the washes, where all of a sudden the water runs in a torrent. Turn again our captivity. Have you ever been there where you see God take some place where you've been captive and give you victory? Oh, so many times people will go, I just can't get victory over it. I go, oh, yeah, I know you can't, but God can. Give it over to God. God wants to give us victory. And man, when he turns over our, our victory, it's, it is fast, it is quick, and it is sudden. When we finally just surrender to him and quit trying to do it ourselves, God has taken so many things away from me, you know, so many things away from me that over the years, things that I never thought I would give up, things I'd never thought I needed to give up in some cases, some things I knew I needed to give up. But you know, he's taken things away and all of a sudden they're gone. Many people have this testimony that they gave up drinking or cigarettes and God took it away from them and it, they've had no problem with it because God took it away from them. You know, God took a temper away from me. You know, when I was younger, he took a temper away from me. And it was wonderful not to be somebody who was always in a fight because I was so angry at everybody all the time. Some things take a little longer. But you know, how quickly God can take something away from you is an amazing thing sometimes. Because you go from great desire about this or captivity because you can't get out of it into freedom. Adele Tackett in, in uh, the Truth Project said, sinners are like POWs. They are captives. You know, we need to be careful how we look at them. And, and what his point was, when we look at somebody who's a sinner, we should see somebody who's a prisoner. They are a prisoner to their sin. They are a prison to the, prisoner to their sin nature. They are not doing things necessarily on purpose to be disobedient to God. It is just who they are, and they're captives. And they have no power to be, to be free of it. God, when we come to him, comes into our life, gives us power to be victorious. He expects us to be victorious because he crucifies our flesh and he lives through us. When we say, I can't get victory over it, we're actually saying, God, I don't believe that you gave me the strength to be able to get victory. And we're telling God that he lied to us. Really, if you think about it, we're telling God, you lied to us. I, don't, I just don't have victory. God says, you have victory. Turn it over to me. Let me crucify it. And too many times we spend too much time trying to fix our problems. God, just let me fix this problem so I can have a little bit of glory in my flesh and, I'll, and I, I will be so happy when I get it done. And God says, okay, you keep trying to, to fix your flesh. God says, I want to crucify it. You let me put it on the cross and I'll get rid of it and you won't have any problem with it when it's crucified. But yet, our flesh says, no, we're going to, the flesh says, I'm going to take care of the flesh. <laughs> Let me just take care of myself and, I, and everything will be okay. Yeah, doesn't make much sense, does it? The flesh is the problem and yet we want to deal with the flesh by the flesh. And the flesh is the problem in the first place. We've got to stop, stop that and go, God, I just want to have my flesh crucified. You want to have my flesh crucified? 
and surrender to him. And I say this a lot. The most important thing we can learn to do is surrender to God. And that is an act of our will. God, I just surrender. I am going to stop fighting. I am going to stop trying to discipline the flesh. And we step forward with God. Verse 5, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goes forth with weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again, rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. This has a twofold picture, and it's a, it's a couplet that I wanted to read together. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. That should be the way we witness when we're talking to people. People are headed to hell. If we can truly understand that, then our desire to, to share the gospel with them will be born out of tears. You're headed to hell, and we don't want to see that. You know, to just share the gospel kind of cold-hearted uh, is not the way to do it. And I've shared with you the, the example that I heard long ago, two pastors trying to get into a church. They both talk about hell and salvation. One is picked. They use the same verses, the same everything, just about. And the one guy goes, well, why did, why did you pick him over me? And the, and the people said, well, when you preached it, it sounded like you wanted them to go to hell. When he preached it, it was with terror and fear and, and tears. He did not want us to go to hell, and it became obvious. So are tear, so in tears. Are we motivated because somebody is going to spend eternity in hell? Now, this should get us motivated about sharing, especially with family and friends. If we really love them, we should be motivated to give them the gospel message. Even if they're going to get angry about it, they need to hear the message because the alternative is hell. And we need to give that to them, that there is a serious repercussion if they continue walking the path that they're walking. It'll be worse if they go to hell and we never said anything. White throw judgment and they look at us and say, why didn't you tell me this was coming? You, you, you seem to have known about it. I can picture people doing that at the white throne judgment, looking at us as Christians and saying, why didn't you share with me? You knew this was coming and you didn't share? There's a comedian that goes, how much do Christians, how much do Christians really hate people if they really believe in heaven, that Jesus is the only way to avoid hell and they don't share it? And he's not a Christian comedian. He's making fun of Christians, but by the same token, he's making a very honest statement about it. If we're not sharing the gospel and we're trying to say we love people and we know that they're headed to hell if they don't accept Jesus, can we really say that we love them? You know, it's a very critical decision. You know, we need to be very careful with this and say, God, I want to just share this with everybody and I want to know that it's in tears. I care about people. You know, on the, in the office, I've got a sign that says, what is the value of one soul? What are we willing to go through if it would just lead one person to Christ? Would we be willing to be beat like Paul and the disciples were to get one soul? Now, they got many more than one soul out of the deal. Uh, reading, reading the story that I've been reading about uh, uh, Gladys Ayerwold, you know, what she went through just to get to the mission field, you know, just to get there, 
and then what she went through while she was on the mission field. <laughs> but you know the way God blessed her for all of that? It was a wonderful effect too. God will reward our faithfulness and obedience. Maybe in ways that we'll never see until heaven. Maybe in ways that we'll see in this, in this lifetime. But he will reward his faithful servants. And very important, all of us have family members that aren't saved probably. I have family members that aren't saved. I've got several family members I'm not sure if they're saved or not. They claim to be, but you look at their life and you go, only God knows for sure, but you sure don't seem to be saved. Uh, but have we shared the gospel with them? Have we given them the message? If they reject it, that's between them and God. But we also don't want them to be able to look at us and say, well, you never told me. How come you never said anything? I had a conversation with my sister shortly before she died, and I knew she was a Christian, and she hadn't gone to church in decades. And I went up to her one day, you know, and talked to her, and, you know, and I go, you know, you need to get back with God. And go, I still love God. And go, no, you don't. You don't love God the way you used to. I remember the... I remember the little girl that loved God and read her Bible and went to church. That's not you anymore. No, I'm not saying you're headed to hell, but you're, you need to get back with God. And she started going back to church. She never talked to me very often, but she went back to church. And that's fine by me. That's fine by me. Uh, not everybody we talk to that gets saved is going to be very happy about it. They might be upset with us initially. They might be upset that we challenge them in their lifestyle if they are saved and, and uh, get challenged by us. But you know, I'd rather have them be upset with me and right with God than be happy with me and wrong with God. Even if you do that, there's still no guarantee. I mean, I've talked to two people about it. But the point is, we're not responsible for their reaction. Right. We're, just responsible. we're responsible to share. And that's what I'm saying. Our goal is that when they stand at the white throne judgment, that they don't look at us and say, why didn't you tell me? If I've shared the gospel with somebody, as Paul said, I am guilty of no man's blood. Basically, he was saying, since I've been saved, everybody that God has told me to talk to, I have talked to. I can't, I can't make that claim. I know that there are people I was supposed to have talked to that I did not talk to in my lifetime. Now, I've talked to a lot of people, but I have not talked to every single person. And there's some people, when I, when I stand up there and they stand at the white throne judgment, if God hasn't sent somebody else in their life, that they can look at me and say, why didn't you tell me? I've tried to minimize that over the years, but I know that there are people that way. And I've shared with you, when I first got saved, I didn't know a whole lot about God like everybody else. But, you know, my first week I got saved, I told everybody, all my friends at school, everybody I knew that they needed to know Jesus. And when they asked me, how do you go? I, don't, I have no idea. Come with me to church. <laughs> They'll tell you at church how to do that. I went to church on a, on a, on a Sunday school bus, and the first uh, bus driver came up to pick up at our stop, and it was loaded. I had about 25 friends who went to church that Sunday. 
Now, not all of them stayed. Many of them didn't ever get saved. But, you know, there was a lot of people that heard the gospel message at least once. And I did the best I could with what little I knew at the time. We need to do the best we can with whatever we can do. Are we going to be orators that give them the best giving of the gospel? No. But you know what? The good news is, if you open your mouth, God will fill it. And we bear seeds in tears. God, I want so much to see these people saved. We spend time in prayer for these people and lift them up. Especially for us if we have children that we're not sure of where they're at or grandkids that we're not sure where they're at. We need to spend time in prayer for them that God, if it's not us, that God will put somebody in their life that can reach them. Because sometimes it's very hard to reach family. Family oftentimes looks at you and you go, well, you know, who are you, who are you to think you're so self-righteous? I remember when you did whatever it is that they remember you doing. You know, you, you were a druggie, an alcoholic, a, you know, a, you know, fornicator, whatever, whatever sins that they can point back to you and say, oh, you really weren't that good a person. Who are you to judge me? Well, I'm not judging you, but I'm giving you the gospel message. I'm teaching you how you need to walk and how to come around. And, you know, for many of us, we may not be the one that reaches our children. We may not be the one that's going to reach certain family members. But we need to sow in tears and pray for them. Somebody out there is the right person to talk to them. Somebody out there is going to be able to reach them. Uh, when we did the uh, evangelism training, Kurt Cameron and, and Ray Comfort, if you remember, said, you know, sometimes you have to get somebody else to witness to your family and do a reciprocation. You witness to their family they, and get them to witness to yours. You, you never know what it's going to be that it takes because reaching your family members is very hard. I talked in Sunday school this morning about you know, young people growing up in the church. How hard is it for, for the older people in the church to ever see them as adults? Because they always remember the kid. You're the kid that always got into trouble. You were, all the, you were the kid that was always in the rooms that you weren't supposed to or playing with things or getting into stuff. You know, I remember when you got saved and you were, you were a hellion that you know, needed to be tamed. I remember taming you, you know, whatever it might be. And sometimes it's hard for those kids in the same, to grow up and stay in the same church because everybody just remembers everything they've done wrong. People sometimes, when they first get saved, have a hard time coming into a church in their community where people know them because they always remember, oh, yeah, you were the, you were the gangbanger that uh, caused so much trouble. You know, how can I trust you? you know, we need to be very careful as Christians that we put and say, God, you can change lives. And there are places where we may want to be careful with. You know, if you have a child molester who's gone to prison for child molesting, you do not put him in your Sunday school with the kids. Okay, that's just not foolish. That person may be totally changed. But you don't take that chance. Uh, you don't take an alcoholic and say, okay, I want you to do a bar ministry. You're to go into bars every night and preach. That would not be a wise move. I don't know if preaching in a bar would be a wise move, period. But you definitely wouldn't do it to an alcoholic. Yeah, we want to be careful how we do things, but we also want to give people the knowledge that God changes lives and we recognize that God changes lives. One of the hard things for people is if they've changed their life, especially if they've backslidden. They've been in a church, they backslide, and they've been gone for a while, and they come back. 
well, why should we trust you? You, you abandoned us. The whole thing John, uh, uh, Paul did to John Mark. You abandoned us on the last trip. You're not going with us this time. You're not, I'm not giving you a second chance to fail me. Barnabas took him and ended up making a wonderful leader out of him. That Paul later on said, I was wrong about him and, and he's made great growths and great strides and he's, he's very useful and very, you know, send him to me because I, I want him to be with me because of how much he had grown. Do we as Christians give people that second chance, third chance, fourth chance? Or are we like the, the human rationale? Shame me once, shame on, on you, shame me twice, shame on me. And if you do it three or four times, I'm really dumb. <laughs> you know, we as Christians have to be very careful with that mentality. Now, will we put somebody who's a known thief in charge of our finances? No. You know, not until they have absolutely proved that they've changed their life. But you know, do we start to give them some responsibilities? Do we start trusting them? Absolutely. I think of David Wilkerson, even before Nicky Cruz got saved and, and had him and his gang take up the offering at the, at the revival meeting he had. And Nicky and his gang were ready to continue right out, the, right out the back door after they took the offering and they shook down the crowd as they took the offering. If they didn't give enough, they glared at him and, and with an angry look to get him to give more. And they got to the back door and everybody's ready to go out and Nicky's ready to go out and, and it, all of a sudden he gets convicted. And he said, nobody ever trusted me with anything. And here was this crazy pastor trusting him with whatever amount of money he was able to collect in that room of gangbangers. And it broke his heart and he took the money back up front and gave it, gave it to David Wilkerson like he was supposed to and ended up getting saved. And became a preacher later on through that. But that act of trust. I'm sure David Wilkerson was very nervous about doing this. You know, he's like, Nicky's the worst, worst one of them all. You know, he's probably going to go right out the door and I'm never going to see him again. And yet, that was exactly what it took to break Nicky's heart and say, somebody is willing to take a chance on me. Somebody has trusted me. Can I uh, break that heart, break that trust? He came very close to doing it but he was convicted by God. Sometimes that act of gentle kindness and saying, I'm going to trust you in an area that you don't deserve to be trusted in will be just the act of mercy that will break somebody's pride and get them to follow God. And if it's not going to hurt anybody else, then it's worth, worth doing. Now, David Wilkerson would have been hurt. I mean, he had, he had to pay the rent on that property that he was you know, renting and he was looking forward to this offering to pay it. But in the ultimate, ultimate on it, the only one that would have been hurt was him if Nikki had taken off with the money. You know, no more revivals, but, <laughs> but he, had a, he trusted in this and it was an act of God to make it, make it happen. Are we willing to take those chances sometimes for God? And say, God, this person has hurt me in the past. They say they're changed and I'm going to give them this opportunity to reveal that they're changed or not. And they might hurt you again. Jesus gave the disciples all kinds of uh, chances. And he had Judas Iscariot who finally betrayed him. 
But the disciples were always saying, we don't understand, we don't understand, we don't understand. Jesus said, I'm going to the cross, and they kept saying, we don't understand. This doesn't make sense to us. You're the Messiah. You're supposed to build a kingdom. What are you talking about going to the cross for and dying and, and resurrecting? This doesn't make sense to us. And he kept telling them, and they never made sense to him until after it happened. And the Holy Spirit started touching them. How many times have you tried to teach something to somebody and it just keeps going in one ear and out the other? If, you, if you're a teacher, this happens all the time. If you're a pastor, it happens all the time. You, know, you teach and you teach, you pour out, you pour out truth, you pour out truth, and then you watch people do exactly the opposite of what you've been teaching them to do. And it's like, you want to tell them, well, I told you that would happen. But you want to also be loving to them and, and say, okay, let's try to help you out, for, out, of this, out of this hole. Let's try to help you out of the pit that you dug and, and jumped into on your own free will without even thinking about it. But you know, it's so heartbreaking sometimes when you watch somebody walk into bad decisions. Whether it's a person you're pastoring and it's some church member, you're a Sunday school teacher, you're a discipler of somebody, or it's your own kids. And you've taught them and you've taught them and you've taught them and you watch them make a dumb decision with lots of repercussions. When people make bad decisions, there are repercussions that there's going to affect them sometimes for the rest of their life. And yet, it's really sad to say, but most of us have to learn things the hard way. Now, we have to actually experience the hot stove before we finally decide, oh, that stove was hot. I probably shouldn't have touched it. That, that fire in the campfire is really hot. I shouldn't put my hands in the flame. And yet, how many people have to actually get singed before they finally recognize it. Very few people will learn when they watch somebody else get singed. Because there's always that idea, well, maybe they got singed, but I might not get singed. Sin is like that. Well, they had a really bad experience with it, but I'm stronger than they are. I can get away with it. And we might not think it all the way through, but that's really what we're thinking. You know, I'm stronger than they are. It doesn't happen to everybody as they get burned in the same way. And the sad thing is, so many times we watch, especially our children, make the same mistakes we made, and we tried to keep them from making those mistakes. They do the same problems that we do. And if we're fortunate, maybe one or two of them don't make all the same problems. But you know, one of the things I've learned over the years is most of the time our kids do the same things we did wrong, and they usually do, do them worse than we did. It's the way sin is. If you're an alcoholic, your kids will most likely be an alcoholic, and they usually will be worse than you were. You know, if you're a thief, they will usually be just as bad as you are and, and or worse. The good news is sometimes it can work for righteousness. We raise our children up in righteous ways, and we can watch some of them become so wonderfully advanced over the rest of the world around them. I love it when my kids call me up and say, you know, we were just in a Bible study and we were talking about this and I had all the answers and I found out nobody, nobody else even knew anything about it. You know, and I'm thinking, oh, isn't that wonderful? My kids grew up thinking they knew nothing about the Bible and weren't, weren't really that, that strong and hadn't learned anything because it was normal in our house to talk about the Bible. It was normal to lift up God. It was normal. And they didn't realize how abnormal it was around people. And they're out there now 
sharing things and then they'll talk to me and go wow thank you for doing this thank you for doing live, living up and my kids are starting at a higher level and advancing from that higher level and when they finally start having some grandkids <laughs> maybe my grandkids will start at a high you know at their higher level and you know i look forward to that day that they will get to start even higher than wherever what i've had and, and we don't and really know because if you had to talk to me about how strong my kids were with God, I probably would have said, well, they're just kids. They're just kids. You know, there's nothing really special about them. Everybody used to tell me there was something special about them, but I never really thought that it was all that special. And now I'm really starting to fall in love with the way, they, the way most of them love God. I still have one who's kind of off in left field, but you know, most of them are very following God and going to Bible studies and lifting up God and saying it's wonderful to have had this base. It's wonderful to have the base that they've been trained with. And what we need to do, disciple. Disciple our family, disciple our grandkids, disciple our, our children. You know, I, I told you, when I was back east visiting my grandson, you know, he was only three months old at the time, and we were singing, I was singing Christian songs with him and, and telling him that he needed to know Jesus as he grew up. And you know, I was already starting to speak what I wanted him to know. Now, when he comes out here sometime, or I go back out there and he's older, we're going to continue talking about Jesus and learning songs and, and getting Bible stories and learning to apply God to his life. He may not remember much of any of what Grandpa does for him, but he's going to get started on the right basis. And Grandpa's going to continue praying for him. He's going to continue praying for you know, his future wife, you know, which is many years away, but much the same way as I prayed for my other kids' spouses. I want them to have the right person in their life and be the right kind of husband and husband and or wife as in the case of my daughter for their for their future spouse because it's so important to lift up to weep and sow the seeds and it says he that goes forth weeping bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again rejoicing bringing his sheaves with him I look forward to heaven and see in the rewards. Not just rewards and crowns and jewels, but the ultimate reward. Those who have been saved through anything that I have done, said, or prayed with. Seeing that aspect of it. And the last thing just to share, you know, I've shared this before. One of, my, one of the songs I love is called Thank You. And it starts out, I dreamed I went, he went to heaven, you were there with me. And it goes through a whole lot of people saying, you may not remember me, but when you, you, know, you used to teach my Sunday school, and one day I asked Jesus in my heart. You know, one day you, know, you gave a gift to a missionary when you had nothing. That missionary is the reason I'm here, which ultimately bounces back to that missionary was there because of your gift. We do not know the impact that we're having on people's lives by the little things we do. The little gifts we make, the little investments in, into missions that we make, the, the, the attitude we have when everything's going wrong and people are looking at us and saying, now there's somebody that's different, I wanna be like them. The little word of encouragement we give that, that motivates somebody to move forward, that says, this is what I need to be doing. 
we don't understand all of what is out there and what what we're doing. How many times we prayed for somebody and they get saved, and we don't we may or not know anything about it. When we get to heaven, we're going to get the shock of our lives sometime sometime when God says, "Here's your rewards. Here's your rewards for having lived out your life, or letting me live my life out through you, and just giving them honor." The Lottie Moon offering that we're taking up. You know, our church beat its goal. <laughs> Three weeks into it, we beat, a, beat a, our goal that was designed to be a challenging goal for our church. You know, now, some churches would have said, well, it was nothing. The church that I came to before here probably collected $800 or more in one, in one day. They're a lot bigger church. <laughs> you know, we, have beat our, we have beat the goal. That money goes to keep missionaries on the field to share the gospel and David Platt said there's been 82,000 souls that came to Christ this last year from the, from, the, from the foreign mission field. We gave money last year. Our church has part in those 82,000 souls. How many more are going to be come to Christ this year? And yeah, we only have a small part of it, but we have a part in all those souls that come to Christ, especially everybody who's given to it. But you know, our church also gives to Lottie Moon every single month. We give 1% of everything that comes into the church goes to Lottie Moon offering. So we're supporting the missionaries all year long from our church. You know, we have 1% going to the North American missionaries. We're, we're ministering to all these different people in, in Mexico and North and Canada and all through the Indian tribes and everything and here in North America. We support those. We want to reach out and touch people. We want to see God working. The smiles that you give people, the encouragement you give people that might just say, well, that's a Christian. I want to be, if that's a Christian, I want to be like them. And you planted or watered a seed. The good news is when you get to be the one that harvests the seed, it's wonderful a feeling to be able to harvest the seed. But hopefully you're planting seeds all the time. Being able to say, you need to know Jesus because he's the only way to heaven. And live a life that shows to people that you are somebody who believes that. And be able to just spread the, spread the seed, spread, that, spread the good word. All right, let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to come before you. Lord, give us opportunities to plant seeds, to water seeds. Help us to be examples of your life to others and that they will see you in all that we, all that we do and that they will be drawn to you because you are shining out of us. You say that if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto, unto you, me. Lord, let us lift you up in all that we do and all that happens. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.